Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Orange is the New Black Podcast. It is me, Zim Hude. Um, I'm sitting in here as one half of the dynamic duo, going over some stuff. Uh, we we kind of took the week off last week, so we're just picking back up where we left off. Not too much has happened in the news front since the Super Bowl, where the Bengals handed the Super Bowl to the Los Angeles Rams, <laughs> something that I'll never be able to get over. But here, here we are. Um, one of the bigger stories that I thought came out of it post uh, Super Bowl was the fact that Mike Brown actually spoke. And normally he doesn't really speak, but I thought he had some really interesting quotes like coming out of that that I just wanted to kind of highlight. Um, one of the, the, the bigger quotes that I know he said is that no team in the National Football League has better fans than the Cincinnati Bengals. He was, you know, you know, doing his thing. Trying to rile the crowd up, I guess. I didn't. I didn't actually hear the audio from this, so these are just notes that I've taken um, from our, our our friend of the podcast, uh, Jeff Hobson. Um, he 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 thanked the coaches. I know um, he did all. He was transparent in the fact that he said that he's not um, carrying uh, a brand new trophy. End quote. Uh, he also started up a new quote and said, "The Bengals are real. The future is bright." You, our coaches, and our players are going to have some trip, end quote. Uh, he also um, talked about how young, confident, ambitious they were. They were hungry. Um, then I think he uh, gave the mic to some other people to let them speak, too. He he did had uh, another quote that I wanted to bring up, too, um, before he left the rally. He said, it's hard not to give in. Um over the like discussing, I guess the amount of pain that he had from losing the Super Bowl, um, but he said it's over. It's in the books. There isn't anything you can do to change it. It doesn't do any good to gripe. It doesn't do any good to moan. Just move forward. You hurt four times, but a week or two later, it's not so bad. You get over the hurt. Uh, it was a close run thing. We had one three in succession like that at the end before we played the Rams. It could have gone the other way. So could have the other three that got us there um i in end quote I'll, I'll leave it there and i think that's a good lesson i think on a daily basis that we talk about when we're discussing like just life in general it's like you always have to have this concept of moving forward i think part of what i do part of what ace does is, uh is kind of highlight or reevaluate or we go back as just Bengals fans and go look at games or we'll go look at uh, games in the past or different things like that. But I don't think that's just us griping on that. I think one of the things that happened to me on Twitter is like right after the game, I wanted to go take a look at it. And maybe looking back at it, you know, everybody wasn't ready for it, I guess. So I do apologize for that. I think sometimes I posted some clips or I posted a lot of different things and people were like, why are you doing this to us? You know, it wasn't to, you know, stick a knife in and twist it. 
it's just for me, I needed answers because there's a lot of different things in the, um, in that game that I just, I'll probably never understand. Like we talk about screens. We talked about our, what we were going to do to the Rams, like prior coming to the game, talking about putting Von Miller in coverage. None of those things came to fruition. Um, some of the things that I know that got us there as far as like getting the ball to our deep threats because the Rams hadn't been tested vertically. I thought they did that twice and they got big plays out of it, but they didn't do it again. And you look at those five possessions where they had a 20 to 16 lead. It just is tough to like for me to ever kind of get to this point where I'm saying, man, the Rams were just a better team. I don't think I'll ever say that because, you know, the team that won, you know, won, I believe. I don't I don't limit it to a call or just one play. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, I don't know if they're a better team. That's that's a that's that's not an answer that can be, you know, just given just off of one game. I do feel like if the Bengals played them ten times, I think the Bengals win seven, maybe eight, you know, like I think they just limit some of the stuff that they do. And um which they didn't do in that game. So, like Mike Brown said, let's not gripe on it. But I think he has some really good comments, I think, about Joe Burrow, where he was talking about how Joe Burrow is, you know, he's tough. Uh, he, he liked his, his wisdom. He, he had some really good things to say. And don't forget, you don't really get a chance to hear Mike Brown talk at this part of the year. So I thought that was very important that he came out and said that. Um, and, and then he made it. He made it very clear that he's he's going to make some strides in this all season to make sure that this team gets back to that same position. Now, where that goes as far as like how aggressive you are, he didn't state that. So anybody that reads into that and says, "Well, they're going to go aggressive, and they're going to go crazy," it's my firm belief that they'll follow the path that the Chiefs did or some of these other teams recently, um, including like the Rams too where you don't put all your eggs in one basket, for sure. You, we all know the biggest elephant in the room and our biggest deficiency is the offensive line. So you go directly into free agency, and the goal is to come out with, like, two elite, you know, guys. You know, that, that, that's what I would do. That's just my opinion. I don't feel like that's a hot take. I just feel like that's a recipe for success. It gives you a, a ability to go BPA by the time you hit the draft. We'll talk about the draft a little bit later, too. One of the other um, big things that came out of this past week, too, was the, the extension of Zach Taylor. So I thought that was really big as well. Uh, Zach Taylor. So Zach Taylor um, got the five-year extension. Uh, part of when he got his five-year extension that will put him through the 2026 season, um, he talked about... Uh, he talked about some different things I thought were pretty interesting. Uh, he did talk about the Burrow injury. He said it's a four to eight week injury as far as like the MCL sprain um, that Joe uh, hurt in his right knee. He also doesn't think that CJ Uzama is going to need surgery after he sprained his MCL as well. Um, he had some good comments too. I thought Zach did uh, talking about being uh, Joe Burrow being sacked 70 times. He said, we just have to be better as a unit. I think that we'll just look to improve the team any way that we can and not specific to any one necessary group. The offensive line helped us get to the Super Bowl. So they gave us opportunities to go to the Super Bowl. Everything always falls on them statistically, but that's not always the case. There are plays that could be better, help to put them in a better position. There's a lot that plays into that. They were an offensive line that helped us get to a Super Bowl that gave us the opportunities to win, and I think they should be commended for that. 
end quote. And I 100% agree. I think me and Ace, um, we I, I said that like on that one show we did directly after the Super Bowl. We did an hour and 20 minute show because I felt like we were like lacking a little bit of content, I think, that week. So right after the Super Bowl, we did a show and everybody was just ready to pile on the office line. To me, one of the things I thought that Zach was really good at pointing out just now is that yeah, we could talk about how we lost the Super Bowl. I think even on my Instagram page, if you guys follow me, it's Zim underscore Hude. But uh, even on there, I've outlined like three or four plays I thought was really big, like the Tyler Boyd drop on third and nine, um, the second down wasted on the you know, on, on the last drive. There, there's a lot of different things that happened that didn't go our way. So for me to limit it just to an offensive line, I just thought that that's a little bit unfair to them because how did we get here? So the pessimistic person would probably say, well, you got there despite them and we just, but that's not true. You couldn't have had, you know, a team get all the way to a Super Bowl. You, you can't hide the fact that your offensive line is, is abysmal. Uh, you couldn't. Like they weren't good and they weren't good enough to win a Super Bowl. That's a different argument because that's actually what happened. But to say that, oh, oh yeah, you fix the offensive line and you, 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 100% you win the Super Bowl. Well, like Zach just said, there are things that they didn't do in, you know, in, in that game to put them in a better position. You the, previously, the previous week you ran six screens against the Kansas City Chiefs. Even in the first Kansas City game, which a lot is – that game is a lot like the, the Super Bowl if you think about it. I also think about uh, think about that that Ravens game where we were actually down in the third quarter of that game before we just start blowing them open, blowing the lead wide open. But in the, in the first Chiefs game, I thought like they did like bubble screens. This is right around that time. Remember when Jamar Chase was saying, "Hey, they need to move me around, get me in the slot, different things like that." So those are some things that they didn't do, and they, they when they did do it in the Kansas City game. I mean, Jamar Chase goes for 266 yards. And then you come after the Super Bowl, you find out that Eric Weddles had like a torn pack. I just always think about like, and then the weakest link for the Rams was their slot corner. And I just think about some of those things that didn't happen that aid the offensive line. Why not throw a bubble screen? Uh, Jamar Chase and uh, T. Higgins are playing off ball. I mean, they're, the corners opposite of them are playing 15 yards off of them because they're so they're so scared to get beat deep. So those are different instances from a coaching standpoint where I felt like they failed them. Just like with Eli Apple, I felt like anybody one-on-one with Cooper Cup is a recipe for failure. And I think they failed uh, Eli Apple in that aspect because Eli Apple didn't have a bad game. We're talking about a contested catch from Cooper Cup, who's arguably been one of the most productive or best wide receivers in the National Football League this year. I don't think he's the best wide receiver in the National Football League. I've, I've gone... I have been hitting that the whole way, so I'm not going to fake like that's what I really think of him. But he's a guy that gets a lot of targets, and he maximizes his opportunities, and he got put in a one-on-one situation. So those are different instances where as fans, we like kind of blame different things that don't go our way on position groups or a specific person. But I think everybody had their hand in that loss, and I thought Zach was really good for just saying where people might think that that's coach speak, but it's not. It's really the truth. He also took ownership, I think, on the P. Ryan thing. Well, this is what he said. And I don't really agree with it, but let's let's go into it. He said on the, um, P. Ryan carrying the ball on third and one on the last drive and not Joe Mixon. Uh, the quote starts with, we were in two-minute mode, and Samaji has done a great job. 
His role has recently been a protecting back and a lot of things that come with that. Um, and yada, yada, yada. And he says, and so I was the one that said, leave him in there. Justin Hill, our running backs coach, asked if he wanted to make a change. I said, just leave Samaji in there. Obviously, it didn't work out for us. Whether Joe's in there or not, he's certainly deserving of an opportunity in a key moment in a game trying to get us back um, to our featured back. Um, I'll end the quote there. But, you know, to me, that's why you pay Joe Mixon the amount of money that you do. But these are the things that we'll think about forever. These are the stories that we'll tell our kids. These are the stories that we'll tell our grandkids. And, and these are the, the details and the things that go into losing. When you talk to Chiefs fans or you talk to any of the, the different oppositions that we knocked off prior to going to the Super Bowl, they'll have millions of details that you never even thought about or cared about because you won. But when you lose, everything is in a magnifying glass, and that's exactly what happened. So for me, uh, blaming the offensive line to me, like I said in the show before, is such a casual take in this regard. Like, Riley Reef is hurt. You're starting right tackle. Adenogy, who is naturally a tackle, was forced and sprung into action with the injuries of Xavier Sulafilo and the mis the, the shortcomings of Car- of Jackson Carmen. All these things considered, so a lot of fans will say, "Well, why didn't they play Jackson Carmen?" It's a reason why he didn't get on the field. It's a reason why he shows up on the injury report right before the Super Bowl. So there's all these different things that fans we don't really get to see all these different things. And Zach is telling you. At the podium, I'm not throwing guys under the bus. It'd be easy for him to say, "Yeah, Jackson Carmen should have stepped up," and that's the re- you like that. That's that's kind of lame, but I I think that's what fans want him to do or something. But Adenogy's playing out of position. He did his best. I don't feel like even on the last play, it's it's Quentin Spain who gives up the outside leverage to Aaron Donald, which kills the play. And it's not Adenogy. And even the screenshot on that play, ironically, is Adenogy and, and, and Prince blocking it up. And everybody else is just running free. Have y'all ever seen the screenshot on that on 4th and 1? It's amazing. Check it out. But, you know, that, those are the casual takes as fans that aren't so casual when you look at everything in a vacuum and you say, you know what, like the offensive line isn't good. But, yeah, we got all the way here. And I thought it was really good that Zach pointed that out, that if you're a fan that's out there thinking that you could go all the way to a Super Bowl with an offensive line that just wasn't capable of winning the Super Bowl, that's false because you could have never got out of the first round of the playoffs. Like, it just doesn't happen that way. You can't mask it that hard. And I thought for what they were asked to do, the positions that they were put in, especially like Isaiah Prince, like, I mean, come on. Like, these guys, like, they did what they they could. You know, we've all got it charted. We've all – it's all documented on what they did in the offseason – a lot of things went the Bengals' way. A lot of health went their way. And some things didn't. So it would be really unprofessional, I think, of me. It would be really lame of me to highlight what didn't go my way when so many other things did go our way. One thing that really went our way was Jesse Bates in the playoffs. Throughout the season, he even admitted he didn't play as well as he should. Um, when we got to the playoffs, I mean, I don't think there was a bigger difference maker on the field besides Jesse Bates in the playoffs. The plays that he made on every single game, I, I think about the pick in uh, in the Kansas City. I mean, the, the, the play he makes on the ball to, to knock at Devon Bell in that Kansas City game. I mean, these are game-changing, game-wrecking 
stuff that changed the fate of a franchise. He made a big play in the Super Bowl, and so now we get to this whole point of Jesse Bate. Um, Zach Taylor also said, when speaking on Jesse Bates, he said, he's a big part of what we do. We're really proud of how he's led his team and how he's played for us really over the last four years. Those are conversations that will always be ongoing. I think everyone knows we want Jesse to be a part of this, and we'll just continue to work through those discussions, end quote. I think it's very important for fans to understand that we don't know the specifics on what what is Jesse Bates' agent asking. And I think it's really, think it's, to me, this is something that's been griping me for a long time, too, is that as fans of football, yes, there's one side of me that says, you want the guys to come at a better value. But what happened to our morals and our and our understanding of if you perform at a very, very high level or if you outperform your counterpart or if you outperform your coworker or if you outperform other people that are in your field that you get paid accordingly. So this notion of Jesse Bates taking less hometown discount and stuff like that why does that even enter the conversation if we're talking about professional sports this is what he does for a living this is how business goes for me there are people that i pay there are some people that don't like my price the Bengals aren't wrong to to say well we have the leverage of a franchise tag in our back pocket that will pay you 13 million and there's nothing you could do about it. You could argue me down, you could say whatever you want. And they have the right to say that because it's their business, right? The other part of the business is that I could throw I could throw that same uh concept out or the same idea of what I want someone to play for, right? Say I'm not saying that this is real, but say that they're selling Jesse Bates will pay you 11, 12 mil per for the next 3-4 years or something like that. And he's like, nah, I want 14 mil because Jamal Adams got that crazy number, which is insane. Jamal Adams is not better than Jesse Bates. Um, But say he's saying it. He has every right to say that. Every right. Because he's outperformed the people in his position. And so that's what it all boils down to. And that's just business. I might throw that number out there. You don't like it. And it is what it is. And then you move on and you you find another option. That's the flip side of it. Or he might have another suitor that can pay him more and we work out a deal or whatever. But that's just the business side of it that fans, I think, sometimes get blinded by, like, to say, well, this is my, my team. But it's not. You don't own the team. You're just a fan of the team. You know, so. But I think, you know, we start to develop, like, this ownership within ourselves because we've been a fan of the team for X amount of years. So you lose sight of, like, this is an actual person doing this professionally for his family. Some, and I brought that up, too, because somebody told me this the other day. And I want everybody to hear this very, very clearly. They said, you think Joe Burrow's the type of guy that when he comes up for his contract, that he wants to be the highest paid quarterback in the National Football League? He doesn't seem like he's that type of guy. Let me tell you something, Cincinnati. I've recorded a podcast called Lambos versus Hondas. I don't know if you've seen Joe Burrow. I don't know if you understand Joe Burrow quite like I think I do. But I know one thing about Joe Burrow when he was first drafted. One of the questions they asked him is like, what is the the biggest difference between college and NFL? He said, I finally can get paid now. And in the concept of being paid accordingly, 
Sometimes people get blinded by the light or just fall in love with personalities on what you think. But there is no place on earth that the Bengals won't make him the highest paid quarterback in the National Football League. Now, will it be a contract with less guarantees than maybe somebody else? We'll, we'll have to see. But at the point that Joe Burrow signs his contract, and rightfully so, if you care about people, he will be the highest paid quarterback because he's the best quarterback at his position at this age, at this time, in this moment when you get to that contract. Teams would give you nine first-round draft picks for Joe Burrow. What makes you think there's a, a, a inch, a, a, a piece of any part of Joe Burrow that should accept less? Somebody said, well, that's what Tom Brady did. Yeah, Tom Brady did that 20 years later with his millionaire, billionaire wife. Right? Like, that's after the fact. After he's got all the Super Bowls in, he's doing it for the love of the game. And then you got that. Joe Burrow's never – he's he's still on his rookie contract while all these guys are out here getting out or paying more than him. We just swept Pat Mahomes. Pat, Pat Mahomes is getting paid a lot of money. Joe Burrow just beat him. You think he should get paid less than him? You think he should get paid less than anybody that's up – in that same time frame, when Justin Herbert and him go to get their contracts together, you think Joe Burrow, after probably, let's say, one Super Bowl later, you think that there's a, a chance on earth that he shouldn't be the highest-paid quarterback, knowing what we know, tearing his leg up year one, going into year two, getting sacked 70 times? You got to treat people uh, uh fairly accordingly i know that these are millions and millions of dollars but luke take that away take away the dollar amount of it just pay him what he's worth and he's worth the number one quarterback he is the he has more going for him than any other quarterback in the national football league one being age and how fast he elevated and accelerated to this to this this level that he's at and then the other is because for what he does for the city and what he does for, like, the mind frame of a fan base and the culture part of it that just can't even be calculated. So factor that in, too, when we get back to the money, is that if you pay him that amount of money, if Joe Burrow wants to come out and put on some stupid glasses from Amazon, you will all buy it. And people will have more business and more money will be made on the strength of Joe Burrow for the rest of our lives. So there's no world that Joe Burrow isn't worth any of that. They should probably give Joe Burrow a stake in ownership <laughs> at Paul Brown Stadium. Joe Burrow doesn't strike me as somebody that would want that, but they should. And maybe later later on down the line, that's a conversation that probably they have. But that's just the, the, the mind frame that I'm at. Um, wrapping this up. I wanted to talk about uh, some of the position group coaches that changed um, briefly. So the Bengals added three assistant coaches. Um, the first one being a linebackers coach, James Betcher. Um, they also added secondary cornerbacks coach, Charles Burks, and assistant office line coach, Derek Frazier. Uh, Betcher is 42 years old, brings nine years of NFL uh, coaching experience, uh, he was with the Giants with Lou in 2018, 2019. He was with the Cardinals in 2015 to 2017. Um, he's also been a, a run game specialist for the 49ers in 2021, outside linebackers for the Cardinals in 13 to 14. Uh, he also had some time with the Colts. Uh, that's that's the 
brief overview on him. Betcher replaces Al Golden, who served as this, uh, Cincinnati's uh, Bengals linebackers coach uh, last year. Um, and I thought that was a bit of it, – it, you're gaining a lot of experience, but I thought Al Golden um, – one thing about him, I, I thought he was he was vastly underrated in it, and I and I think a lot of people look as this, look at this as a downgrade. But I kind of it's hard for me to say because I don't know the inner workings of all this. I know that he does have experience with like with um, blitzing and pass rushing techniques and stuff. So some of those things, I hope they uh, work more like Akeem Davis Gaither's development. Maybe get more out of him in that sense. I know that you know. We're truly dealing with some really good off-the-ball linebackers, side-to-side, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt. I even include Bachi in there. I thought he played really, really well. You got Marcus Billy in there, too. I think the one position the Bengals shouldn't be looking at in the draft is linebacker because even if you saw one that you just love, who could he beat out to get playing time at this point? Um, so maybe we, we see a boost from that from a pass rushing standpoint um, from the linebackers, more concepts where linebackers get to the quarterback. Uh, Burks, the 34-year-old um, secondary quarterbacks coach, uh, he will, he's going to join the Bengals after spending 2019 through 21 with the Dolphins. Um, he also had time at Southern, uh, Southeastern Oklahoma University. Uh, from 2014 to 2018, Texas A&M, West Texas A&M, and East Central University. As a player, Burks was a cornerback at East Central University from 2008 to 2010. Burks replaces Steve Jackson, who served as the Cincinnati secondary cornerbacks coach from 2020 to 21. The third uh, assistant is Frazier. He's 48 years old. He comes to Cincinnati after being the uh, the line coach at the University of Wyoming. So maybe he has ties with uh, Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson, too, at the time that we're recording, has just had a successful torn labrum surgery. So he looks to be like he'll be ready for fall as well uh, this upcoming season. But uh, Frazier, he spent his 2019 to 2020 uh, season as an assistant offensive line coach with the Jets. Um that's where he worked with current uh, Bengals offensive line coach, uh, Frank Pollock. Um, and I think uh, Pollock was the Jets offensive line coach for the same time period. Prior to this time with the Jets, Frazier spent 21 seasons uh, coaching offensive lines in the College Range Central Michigan, College Colorado State, Fresno State, Northern Arizona, Adams State, um, and uh, Nicholas, uh, I'm sorry, Nichols. Um, which is in Massachusetts. Um, he also was a part. He helped. Well, he helped the Bears to win the NCAA. The when I say Bears, University of Northern uh, Colorado. Uh, he helped the Bears win a NCAA Division II national championship as a senior in '96 as a player. Um, in Cincinnati, Frazier and Brent, and Ben Martin both hold the title of assistant offensive line coach. So they'll have like a co-system in that part. Um, so that rounds out the three new uh, assistants. I think by the time me and Ace go and go into our next show, we'll probably start to dive into the draft a little bit. Free agency, we have a different concept. I think that will come up with this year. Last year, I thought we spearheaded the, mo the movement of free agency mock, uh, where I know some of our other competitors and stuff uh, did their thing right after, and I thought it was a really fun exercise. But this year, 
I think we're going to try some new stuff, so be on the lookout for that. Please make sure you follow him at NewStripeCity.com. Please make sure you go to ZimHooday.com as well. Uh, you can follow us at New Stripe City on Twitter. Follow him at New Stripe City on Instagram. Same thing with me, Zim Hooday on Twitter. Same thing, Zim underscore Hooday on Instagram. Please make sure you check out uh, Mac Minnick uh, with his uh, coach speak and chalk talk shows that he still does. And Anthony and John still doing the OBI on here on Cincy Jungle. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Probably start running some guests pretty soon when we get past the combine and get to some of the prospects, get to some of the free agency stuff. Because one thing about me is I'm trying to paint a more realistic picture this year, I think. Uh, I thought we did a really good job of that last year. But being at the 31st pick, it's just so hard or so tough for me to wrap my mind around this concept of uh, a mock draft when there's so many different things that can happen, so many different trades. It's not possible. It's still fun if you want to go do them. But I, I, I just get to see, like, a consistent mock where the same guys have fallen in the same spot. So I'm in the process of making what I call, like, my big board that I'll walk into this draft and say, these are my five. I know one of them will be there. If these guys aren't here, then maybe I'll trade back. I want to develop, like, those type of strategies and kind of take us into, like, a war room type of setting. But please make sure you keep on following us. I know I'm pretty chilled out. I'm sitting in my living room drinking some coffee. Getting ready to have another great day. It's an amazing day to be a Hootay. And I guess that's every day, right? Hootay. Y'all have a good one.